Dotnet Rocks episode 900, recorded live Monday, August 12th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklins.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePak.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone 7, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. It's time for .NET Rock! Yeah. Holy cow! Yeah. Security. 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 Over there. Yeah. Do you realize we've been doing this damn show for more than 10 years? Well, yeah. I guess you have, anyway. <laughs> I'm the newcomer. I didn't get here till show 100. Yeah. This is show 900. Yeah. Right. You know, the car talk guys only did 5,000. Only. So, <laughs> we got... Uh, We're still new to this. Yeah. Just getting warmed up. Well... well I, I got a drink here. I do too. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. And kids, don't try this at home. There you go. And that will lead to an ulcer. Here we are at that conference. Yes. Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin. Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin. The theme park capital of the Midwest. It's something. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. I went to the Paul Bunyan Kitchen Shack for breakfast the other day. They had to feed you with a shovel. It's, uh, it's all you can eat, basically. It's family style. You have one pancake, they take it away saying, okay, that's all you can eat. <laughs> uh, it was pretty good, actually. But yeah. uh, I was the odd duck in the room, no question. It was yeah. an interesting assortment of people. If you want to see a different part of society, the Paul Bunyan Kitchen Shack's the place to go. Awesome. <laughs> well, I'm not going to belabor us with a better no framework, but you do have a comment. Well, we only get to read Geek Out comments on Geek Out shows, which we only do once a month. So right. how could we not read a Geek Out comment? Because we get quite a few. Oh, what does this one say? Oh, this is the comment from show 732. So if you're doing your math, that's 168 shows ago. And it's from the original Electricity show. Right. So way back when, January of 2011, we did a show on electricity. And that, was, that wasn't the first Geek Out show, but it was no. the first one we did on sources of power and alternative energy. And it was, you know, we had this great long discussion personally about how do you get into alternative energy what's the right order to do the shows in and it's sort of this realization that we had to do fundamentals of electricity so you haven't listened to 732 we really start from subatomic power all the way to the state of the electrical grid today yeah and along the way we talk about where electricity came from and edison westinghouse nikolai tesla and i think you nailed the metaphor to the point where some teachers were questioning what they were teaching. Yeah, and, and plus I, I had my father being an electrical engineer had taught me electricity as a young age and apparently had taught me a few things wrong 
And I got educated researching the show and made a lot of people who had old school electricity knowledge angry when we talked about how electricity actually moves right. around and so forth. But let's not harp on any of that. Yeah. Let me just read uh, Matthew Noggle's comment who said, without a doubt, one of my favorite geek out episodes. I've done quite a bit of electrical work around my house, but I openly admit that I don't really understand how electricity works. I'm sitting at my desk digesting the information. I have a pretty decent understanding of it now and wonder how it can be that two .NET developers using no visual aids can make it possible to understand it all in a one-hour show. Uh, make that one .NET developer. <laughs> I was merely an observer and a question asker. You know that most people don't, what people don't know is we actually recorded that show twice. Right. It's one of the reasons it was so polished. Yeah. Is that we did it twice and the second time was really refined. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, we had a good stack of facts. We went back and forth. If you haven't listened to it, I recommend it to your listening. I'm very proud of that show. Great for kids. Uh, yeah. it's great for anyone who really wants a firm. Wants to grapple with electricity. Firm knowledge. We did the fundamentals. 732, uh, the comments from Matthew Noggle says, keep up the great work. Enjoy the show. Matthew, thank you. We love doing geek outs. We'd like to do more of them. We're about to do one right now. Right. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We make them for Windows 8, WinPhone, iOS, and Android. And those apps are made by Diatom Enterprise. We'd love to build you a .NET Rocks app. Absolutely. Hey, and before we go any further, I need to tell you about Pluralsight. You guys heard of them? Yeah, okay, well, if you haven't checked them out, Pluralsight.com, they have tons of hardcore developer training and now IT training videos. Indeed. Uh, digestible and easily indexed and searched on all sorts of topics. Uh, Java, Android, web, anything and everything, Microsoft, and then some. Uh, check it out. Uh, subscriptions start at just $29 a month. So, Cars that drive themselves. Yes, sir. If you're like me, your first react, well, maybe geeks, you know, our first reaction is cool. But, you know, for mere mortals who, uh, you know, their first reaction is, ah, I don't trust it, you know, so there's a lot of mistrust out there. However, the numbers don't lie. First of all, the numbers of about traffic accidents are pretty staggering. 30,000 deaths annually by traffic accidents, 95% of which are caused by humans. All right, so there are some things that cars and computers can do better and faster than humans, and one of them turns out to be driving a car. It's true. Driving themselves. And the idea of automated cars is not an original idea. You know, even back as far as the 1920s, there were folks talking about automating cars. And there was actually a lot of interesting video and things done in the 90s with automated cars, mostly platooning. General Motors did a set of shows where they're showing how they take six or seven cars running at about 75 miles an hour, maybe a foot or two apart, so that they got that drafting effect, and it saved yeah. a lot of fuel. The problem was that those designs depended on custom roads. Right. That they'd put markers into the highways that the cars were able to detect. Right. And that is prohibitively expensive. There's a lot of cars, but there's way more road. Yeah, and not just that. The, all of the roads have to be covered if anybody's going to take a trip They're actually going to make it work. Right. It wasn't until 2004 with DARPA. So this is the Defense Research Projects Group that has developed all kinds of things. That's where stealth aircraft come from. That's where the Internet came. That's where the Internet came. Back then it was called ARPA. Right. But, yes, that's the original version of the Internet was called ARPANET. Yeah, and these are the same guys moving forward. And in two thousand, oh, by the way, you're busting on Al Gore. Al Gore voted to fund ARPA, if, well, so that's that. you know you got to give him some credit. He didn't invent the internet, but he certainly uh, 
helped the laws fund it. To make all that happen. Yeah. So fast forward up to 2004. In 2004, DARPA presented a thing called the Grand Challenge. Yes. And the Grand Challenge was to have an automated vehicle drive off-road over a particular course. Did anybody see it on the Discovery Channel? It was on Discovery. There were videos. Just a handful of hands. Yeah, just a few. This was the original Grand Challenge. And the main requirements of the Grand Challenge was self-contained automation. All of the technology has to be in the car, nothing on the road surface. Of course, there was no road surface. It was dirt roads. So I remember watching this on, you know, my brand new HD television at the time. And it was fascinating to me because of the different ways that the teams went about it. And the one of the teams that did not win was dependent on detailed GPS maps in terrain. You're right. They did cheat. They, well... <laughs> Cheat or not, they used the technology that they thought would work. The winning team took a different approach using sensors. Now, 2004, no teams won. None of them made it. It wasn't a 2005. thinking of the 2005 one. But in 2004, none of the teams finished. Because it turns out, driving is hard. Yeah. Even off-road, it's complex. They thought it would be simpler to drive off-road and didn't turn out to be that way. But you're right. They ran the challenge again in 2005. That's the one I watched. And... Five teams finished. Yeah. So it, it was doable at that point. And some of them used detailed maps, but most of them used completely self-contained automation. The GPS one got stuck. Oops. Well, it turns out GPS data does not include sand. Yeah. We don't, we don't know how to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. That's not on the map. Bit of a complication. It works on my driveway. So 2005, of course, the, now you understand that DARPA's funding projects for the military. So right. one of the things that goes out of the window very quickly is price. But the other thing that they do is they, don't they not have a claim on any of the patents? Yes. They, they just let everybody run wild with their technology. Well, each of the companies that puts in a submission, and if they're credible submissions, often they'll get funding from DARPA, so they'll help yeah. support it. And there were teams from Carnegie Mellon, like some really high-end teams. It's not just industry. An awful lot of universities were involved in the DARPA challenge. They do get financial support from DARPA as well. But the breakthrough, I think, was 2007, that the, yeah. the DARPA Urban Challenge, right. which to me was astonishing that you even attempt this. So now you had a streetscape, an actual city environment, and not only does the automated vehicle have to drive and follow the rules, but there will be other cars on the roadways driven by people who clearly were brave yeah. that won't necessarily follow the rules. So I have some details here on that uh, urban challenge, November 3rd, 2007. The fun part for me was the qualifying courses. So 89 people, 89 teams entered, and 35 were invited to qualify, and they had to go through uh, three different courses in order to qualify for the final. And the first course required robots to safely merge into and out of two-way traffic in a tight circulating course. Needless to say, this led to some hair-raising moments for some of the traffic drivers. Uh, besides the complex timing and scoring being recorded by course officials, traffic drivers would alert officials to aggressive behavior with an ever-popular horn blast. But the amazing thing is that in eight days of testing, only one traffic vehicle was actually struck by a robotic vehicle. Interesting, isn't it? In the first course. The second 2.8-mile course tested robots on their ability to stay within a lane. One section affectionately turned the gauntlet required the robots to delicately maneuver through a series of parallel parked cars and road obstacles. 
Another test required the robots to find an assigned parking spot between adjacent parked cars, then safely pull into and back out of the spot before proceeding on its mission. So, I mean, DARPA, Think about they really involved. elevated the technology there. And this is just to qualify. You have to do these things. Yeah, that wasn't even the hard part. <laughs> so this, to me, was the fun. So the third qualifying course was uh, traffic intensive, consisting of a series of four-way stop intersections for the robot to negotiate each with its own arrangement of traffic. Robots had to recognize the other vehicles at these intersections, determine the order of precedence, and then safely proceed through the intersection when it was their turn. That's some serious code right there. Yeah. For the second half of the course, various roadblocks were in place, and the robots were tested on their ability to recognize the roadblock, execute a U-turn, and dynamically replan a new route to complete their mission. So 11 teams out of 35 were selected for the final challenge. And uh, you can you can read all about it online, of course. First place went to Tartan Racing in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Two million bucks. They certainly learned a lot from that experience and uh, it started to hone the technology for, for the real world. So that's 2007. That's only six years ago. Yeah. And since then, most people have, the some ways the automated cars kind of disappeared, with the exception of one. The automated car that everybody knows about is the Google car. Right. It, it, it's important to realize that lots of companies are working on automated car-related technology. Yes. It's a, it's a constant process. In fact, many of it's already in the cars today. Yeah. We just don't largely see it. There's two favorites of mine. The first is the 2014 Volvo C60. So the C60, actually, you can, you're going to be able to buy this car next year, maybe even buy it now. It's going to be soon. has a set of cameras in the front that not only can see what's going on forward, but it identifies other moving objects. And not just cars. It can recognize the difference between a pedestrian and a bicyclist. So this is something that's coming out next year. So it's not a full-blown autonomous not car. Not an autonomous but car. But we're it's getting there. It's elements of it. Yeah. Right? And so right now, fully automated driving is still considered experimental. Right. And there's limited regulations available for people to drive on their regular streets. So tell us about these detecting detections. So the C60's option, if you if you get this particular option, not only tracks pedestrians, it also tracks bicyclists, and it can tell the difference. And should one of them veer in front of you and be in danger of collision, the car will brake itself, right, without any hesitation. So so the car can brake safely, more safely than you can, and it will also detect uh, things uh, with the sensor being in front of you before your airbag does, which is a really important point. Your airbag can only detect upon impact. A sensor can detect before the impact. So it doesn't have to throw such a violent punch with the airbag. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist? No. It's a possibility going forward. Well, it is a possibility. Yeah. But okay. I've got a piece. I want to place a piece of the video for the, for the viewing audience here. This is, I'll include the links in the show notes so everybody can watch this. But this is a part of the pedestrian detection system from Volvo. And I'll turn the audio on as well and a central control unit. The radar's task is to detect any object in front of the car and to determine the distance to it. The camera determines what type of object it is. So still driving your car, just help. So that does automatic braking. Yep. Pedestrian stepped in front of the car, car stopped itself. The system is programmed to trace the pedestrian's pattern of movement and to calculate whether he or she is likely to step into the road in front of the car. 
It includes also children from 80 centimeters tall and upwards. In an emergency situation, the driver first receives an audible warning, combined with a flashing light in the windscreen, and the car's brakes are pre-charged. If the driver does not react to the warning, full braking power is automatically applied. The system can avoid accidents below 35 km per hour. And above 35 km per hour, the focus is on reducing the speed as much as possible prior to the impact. For a pedestrian, this can make the difference between a minor and a serious injury. Now, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, so that I don't get hate meat meals after you start searching for this stuff on YouTube, I would like to show you another video, also of a Volvo, at a press release where they were demonstrating auto braking technology. The title of the video is Insane Volvo Brake test epic fail 23 seconds you can see all the press in the front of the picture here comes the car oops nice one directly into the quote barrier well, ladies and gentlemen uh we've had some kind of mishap in the testing here yeah uh, little boo-boo oops it turns out system wasn't on the battery was disconnected that's always the first question tech support asks. Yeah. Is it plugged in is and turned on? on? Yeah. So, and again, full disclosure, right? Same car, similar system. It doesn't always go right in this particular test. It was a test product and they were trying to show it off to the press. So, I don't know if it's exciting to you, but it's interesting to me that this is a product we'll be able to buy in the immediate future. And it starts to speak to the level of vision systems already available in cars today. Well, I, I want to just capitalize on your current sense of fear and dread. Uh, RecordedFuture.com says, I know this may be something that disturbs your dreams of freedom, but let's face it, sooner or later the driverless car will be here, and you have to admit, today, your microwave oven has proven to be better behind the wheel than many drivers you currently share the roads with. Uh, there's a ton of passion around cars, but if you look carefully and beyond the car, and driver readers, beyond the car and driver readers, there's a vast majority of people who simply do not give a damn about the so-called joy of driving. They would feel relieved and pleased if they could be driven somewhere while they arranged their next schedule, talk by phone, write an article, or yes, just could take a nap while Kit drives them home. You know, you know where you see this more than anywhere today with manual driving? Is the Autobahns in Germany. So the A-class roads have an unlimited speed limit, and they still do to this day, right. except when they're restricted for various reasons. You do not need to drive A-roads at all. There are E-roads you can drive that have lower speed limits. So if you don't care about driving, you drive the E-roads. If you like driving, you drive the A-roads, and you drive fast. In fact, you drive as fast as you are comfortable driving, right. which turns out is not as fast as you think, actually, because yeah. fast becomes very fast. Uh, my experience driving on the Autobahn has been, I, I really enjoy driving. And so I go out and exercise, I try and do it almost every year if I get an excuse to be in Germany one way or the other. Yeah. But one of the things, I once drove from Amsterdam to Munich in nine hours, which is over a thousand kilometers. Wow. Uh, here's the freaky part about that. I never turned the radio on. You're so, when you are driving at the edge of your comfort level, you would never think about any distractions of any kind. Yeah. You pay attention the whole time you're driving. Yeah. It's a level of intensity, which I happen to enjoy, but if you don't, you wouldn't drive on that road. 
Okay, so the New York Times technology writer John Markoff uh, in May said that four companies, uh, Volvo being one of them, but also uh, Audi, Mercedes, BMW, will have automated cars in the market in the next 12 months. So automated cars, not being autonomous cars, but automated, as the uh, as you were pointing out. Right, and there's interesting points to what automation really represents. Yeah. So if you're into keeping, if you want to keep an eye on the future of vehicles at any time, there's one car to watch, and it's the Mercedes S-Class. Mercedes, for literally decades, has put the newest car technologies, the leading-edge technologies, into their S-Class car, priced accordingly, okay? So you're not cost-sensitive, but you want the coolest new features. So let me run down the list of some of the stuff that's in the 2014 S-Class. So we'll start with what's in the Volvo. So that whole tracking pedestrians and bicyclists and auto braking, that's like feature one. But it goes on from there. Night vision systems, so that you see equally well as night. Now, the car sees equally well at night? And or shows you? it to the driver. So you have some sort Extended of... Extended vision systems mapped onto the windshield. Wow. Yes. But the freakiest thing to me is driver monitoring. It's conscious of how much the driver is paying attention to driving, it'll, and it can detect if the driver's getting tired. It'll actually start showing where the next rest stop is if you're tired. It'll vibrate the steering wheel if you're not paying enough attention. In fact, if you start to veer off a lane, it will not only warn you, it'll tap the brakes to put you back in the lane. You should just hire my wife to drive with it. Nice. And she does all that for free. You know, you can do that with an MP3 player that just plays you're doing it wrong over and over again <laughs> in the back seat. I'm sorry. I love you, we... honey. I'm just kidding. She's wonderful. Where are we going? What's know. taking so long? You're going the wrong way. I wouldn't have done that. It's a simple loop. Here's a uh, twist for you. CIO Magazine says, trucks, the future of driverless driving is all about trucks. I would agree. So forget about that sensor-equipped Volkswagen Passat and get ready for a 40-ton Peterbilt 18-wheeler. In the wake of new U.S. Department of Transportation guidelines for automated vehicle testing, experts such as Amit Azguner, a professor with Ohio State University's Center for Automotive Research, are predicting that the first wave of operational autonomous vehicles will be devoted to long-haul deliveries. This is about moving cargo, not people. Right, and you know why? Of course. Yeah, mileage. They well, can stack up behind each other. It's not just that. It's also humans get tired, and they have yeah. strict restrictions. That's right. So I checked the stat, the rules for, for truck drivers in the U.S. They are allowed to drive no more than 11 hours per 14-hour period, and after they reach that 11-hour mark, they must rest for a continuous 10-hour block. Yeah. So that basically works out to 24 hours. Yeah. So you can be in your truck, you can be driving more or less for 14 hours with maybe a couple of breaks of fuel and things that adds up to a total of 11 hours worth of driving. Right. And then after that, you need to park for 10 hours. But so if you have an automated vehicle, you drive all the time. You never stop. So this guy says in an interview with TechHive, the trucking industry is very interested in going from single trucks to convoys of trucks. One human driver with perhaps three other trucks behind it. He told TechHive, those three wouldn't necessarily have a driver in them. Eventually, you could imagine removing the first driver, too. This technology, which is being developed and in some instances deployed for use right now, consists of a lead truck operated by a human driver, followed by a closed formation by small feet of driverless vehicles tethered 
by a series of sensors. Which is cool, because now you're not doing full automated driving. You're just basically doing follow the leader. Right. And so if you think of the multiplicity of, you know, savings of money that you're paying drivers. Yep. You know, and the, the, the time that you're saving in getting stuff from point A to point B. Yeah, as long as there's a driver, you're still going to have to follow those rules. As soon as you eliminate the driver, you literally double the capacity of the truck. Right. In terms of its time to delivery, it's twice as fast. Yeah. And that just adds up to money savings. And in yeah. the end, a part of this has to do with safety. And believe me, when you look at the stats for professional heavy truck drivers, yeah. they're way safer than all of us by a long way. Right. Nothing bad to say about those drivers. But you can argue the fact that they need to rest and automation doesn't. Yeah. You know, that's the distinction. So it's not without its critics, of course. Uh, there's a, uh, an article by Eric Durer in Ward's Auto, October 8, 2012, called Drive Toward Autonomous Cars Shouldn't Be So Automatic, Critics Warn. His concerns are about liability, personal security, and then by extension, personal privacy. Which is interesting. He thinks, you know, if you think hacking software and computers is a problem, try protecting your car from, from hacking. Yep. And I, I think those issues are going to exist one way or the other. Cars yeah. are hackable today. That's yeah, true. The question is, what are the consequences? And the liability one is interesting. But let's get there. Yeah, I we want get to go there. further down the path. Should we talk about how some of these cars work? Yes. I mean, the, and I really want to focus on the Google car because there's lots of different designs. But I think for better or worse, Google has consolidated the automated car down to the simplest approach. Well, and let's tell people what they're doing with it. They actually have a fleet of cars that their employees, quote unquote, drive to work. Every and they've got day. special permission. So California, Nevada, and Florida have already passed bills to allow autonomous vehicles. Although for the most part, no existing highway law and automobile law includes any denial right. of automated vehicles because so nobody thought of it when they wrote them. Sure. But now what's happening is a few states are starting to pass the initial laws. They're looking that by 2050, they'll be fully regulated, that they'll have all the rules. And one of the biggest pieces around this is the liability, liability. piece. If you're not in the car, are you liable? Because today... Accidents related to automobiles focus on the driver, the not the fault. vehicle. Right. But logically, the existence of the vehicle end up being the liable entity. So whoever right. owns the vehicle is liable for what it does. And this is what the car, this uh, Eric Durr guy says, is that the car companies are in for a, a you know a rude awakening because now they're all of a sudden going to be liable, whereas the driver was liable before. Right, and I argue that that's a logical outcome of this anyway. But we should but do we'll that at get the there, end. Because yeah. we have a theory. Yeah, there's a whole other thing. All I right. wanted to show uh, some of the technology involved. So Google has successfully, mostly in Priuses, consolidated down the sensor system to not only the sort of the built-in perimeter system that's already in the Prius, mm. but they've added one key sensor. And it's this device called the Velocidyne or the Velodyne HDL64E. So this is a 360-degree LIDAR or laser radar. So it's using lasers to judge distance. And the whole unit looks like a little cylinder sitting on top of the car, and it spins quite quickly. And while it's doing that, it's pulsing 64 different lasers out and getting readings back from them at the rate of 100 to 1.3 million points per second. Now, these lasers aren't visible, are they? No, they're outside the visible spectrum. They're not dangerous. They're quite right. low power. Yeah. They're very, very fast. And what it yeah. does is build a 360-degree map of wow. the terrain around the vehicle. Wow. 
in very detailed resolution. So they're not just watching for cars. They see everything right. in, a, in a really quite high resolution. Which is one of the reasons that automated cars have an advantage over humans. Our eyes only point one way. Right. These things point always, all of the time. Yeah. And that gets back to your thought about right now when it comes to crashes. And let's face it, automated cars are going to crash sure. or rather probably be crashed into. Right. Just because you're able to stop faster than a human can stop doesn't necessarily mean stuff isn't going to ram into you. Yeah. But because you can see all around you all the time very quickly, you're going to be able to compute the math to say an, in, an impact is unavoidable. And there's already mandates coming out of the EU to make the exterior of cars safer so that in a collision with a pedestrian, you decrease harm. Right. So I can see a future where we have airbags on the outside of the car to decrease impacts. But also, right now, airbags are dangerous. That's why you're not allowed to put your kids in the front seat and so forth. Because the sensor that sets off the airbag is part of the car. Your car has to already be hit mm. before the airbag can deploy. Because mm -hmm. that's how it measures that we need to deploy the airbag. But if I have a LiDAR that's able to see an incoming impact half a second before the impact occurs, I can fire airbags at a lower rate, at a safer rate, still protect the occupant and decrease the risk to everyone. Right. You know what? People don't know this, but an airbag's basically prepared by a shotgun shell worth of powder. So that's why they didn't want little kids sitting in the front yeah, seat. You don't want. That's why you also off. have to wear your seatbelt. Yeah. You do not want to be in the way of that airbag as it deploys. Yeah. It'll leave a mark. Yeah. Right. The idea is the bag deploys and you slam into it. Right. That's what it's designed to do. But it has to deploy with such incredible violence because there's no time. Right. You're already in the collision by the time the bag deploys. But if we can start having sensors on the outside of the vehicle that realize the severity of an impending collision. Not just to something. Well, close. we already do have those sensors. But it's we just can't imagine it. it's a matter of making an airbag that reacts to them appropriately. Well, the, I think the bigger thing is having a sensor that can really determine speed. Yeah. You know, it's not hard to have ultrasonics to, to determine proximity, but you have to sense at a higher rate to be able to sense speed in such a short amount of time. And ultrasonics aren't fast enough. Lasers are fast enough. Yeah. So that's the challenge of all that. And I, I like that there are other ways to do this, but I think Google's got it nailed because it's a fairly straightforward sensor. It's relatively expensive, yeah. but it covers all of those actions all at once. Now, Google's cars aren't for sale. And they probably never will be. Yeah. That's not Google's ultimate business. It's really interesting to think who's going to build these cars. Are we going there now? When you start to think about what the impact is of automated driving on cars as a whole. And what the impact is on us. Because the, there's certainly, if you follow this logic, it would be the conclusion that, that well, you came to, that uh, it really paints a different picture of the future. The way you treat cars in general. When, and I totally agree with the idea that semi-trailers will go first. Yeah. Because we wanted, they want to move them more. They want to reduce the cost of products by reducing right. the transportation costs. I mean, it's an immediate benefit to the economy. It's Absolutely. a no-brainer. Except for the truck drivers. Yeah, they'll be mad. Well, and they're going to go the way of the buggy whip makers yeah. and, and many other folks that have been disintermediated along the way. Right. You know, that is a natural byproduct of this, for better or worse. I hope we put some effort into giving them other opportunities so they can get into training. Right. But it makes sense that those will happen first. And the reality is automated cars will have to drive alongside manually driven cars for a long time. Well, because somebody's got to be liable. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also <laughs> reckoned that not everybody's going to jump. Although... Yeah. Because automated cars will drive better than people, well, we're already seeing this. As soon as you start putting instrumentation into cars, you start reducing insurance rates. So today, 
in certain parts of the world, I think it's in the U.S., it's certainly in England, you can get a telemetry box added to your car by your insurance company that reports on how you drive and where you drive, and they'll adjust your insurance rates based on your behavior. That is so awesome. I want one. Because I'm a good driver. We all I believe am. we are. I'm At least 80% of drivers think they're above average. Yeah. I think you just nailed me. <laughs> but you get to that idea that once we have that data, yeah. we're going to re reduce insurance rates. And well, so and so the insurance companies are loving this, aren't they? I also think that governments are going to love it as well because it increases car driving density and reduces the overall number of cars. And those two things together mean re governments reducing their costs on maintaining the infrastructure for driving. And so that's going to motivate them as well. I would bet, in short order, HOV lanes would disappear and automated driving lanes would replace them. Now, the other thing is the, the knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, all regular manual cars are going away. No, that's not true. We still have horses, but they're, they're for people who love horses. And for people who love to drive, we'll, we'll always have cars. Right, and quite possibly you'll start doing what horse people do and not keep your horse at your house. You keep it at the stable, what's close to the riding tracks. Okay. You'll start keeping your your manual driving car at the track or some other place that's fun to drive. So now let's, shall we, shall we go there now? So let's imagine the automated car comes on the market. Yes. The first ones. Would you buy one? How many people put up their well, hands? Well, let's, how much are they? Well, maybe a hundred thousand? Only a couple of hands came up. 150 grand, maybe? Well, and there, therein lies the real question. They're going to be expensive. What if they're more expensive than manual cars? I think fewer people would buy them. But here's another question. Is Carl going to buy one? How many people think Carl's going to buy one? <laughs> no. Here's the more relevant point. Why them. would you own one? If it'll drive itself, why would you need to own it? Why would you just want access to it? Let's talk about Uber. So Uber, is anybody using Uber? Do you know what we're talking about when we say Uber? Three or four hands. All Windows phone users, I suspect. So Uber is a livery driving service that it's a lot like a taxi, although it removes all the suck from taxi. Yeah. So with the Uber client, you're able to, suppose you're in a bar and you're having a drink, and maybe you've had a couple too many, and you know you're going to need a ride home. You could flag a taxi, but why? You've got the Uber client, you fire it up, and it'll tell you how far away a car is. You specify the car you want and where you want to go. You already have all your transactional data in there because you've signed up for the Uber account. It tells you exactly how many minutes. In fact, it'll even show you a GPS track of the car getting closer to you. When it's nearby, now you get up from the bar, walk out, the car is already waiting for you, you get in. You don't have to talk to the driver, although saying nice, hi is nice. It already knows where you're going to go, so it takes off and takes you there. And when you get there, you get out because you've already made the payment as part of Uber. Uber takes most of the lousy things out of taxis. The bigger thing here is recognizing that transactions are an unpleasant part of taxi riding. So if we took all of that out, taxi riding's more pleasant. Now take the driver out of the equation entirely. When you right. want a car, you call for it. They're never that far away because once you have a company whose sole purpose is to get rides for cars, you never stop moving the cars around. So they're nearby. You hop in, you go to where you want to go, you get out. It drives away. So it, for me, it would have to be, you know, fast enough to get there by the time I'm still, you know, before I'm disinterested in going where I wanted to right. go, right? It's One of the quick. things I love about owning a car is 
I'm going to the store. I'll be right back. I don't have to call anybody. I don't have to use an app. I just go out to my driveway, put the key in, and I go. I love that. Do we love that about our cars? Are you with me? However, if I knew I was going to go at a certain time, you know, 10 minutes from now, and I could hit a button and it would be there when I'm ready. Know where you want to go. And there are already car services today. There's stuff like Zipcar and Car2Go, mostly for folks that live in the city where there's cars waiting in parking lots that they can literally get in, take it where they want to go, drop it off and walk away. And they pay a fee for that. So let's say that there are so many of these things around that I don't need to own a car anymore. You don't have to wait. I don't need to own a car. Right. Unless I want one. Yeah. So now, what does that do to life? What does that do to cars? What, what say people who can't afford cars, but can download an app and they can afford however, cause it's gotta be cheaper than a taxi. There's no person in there. Right. So it allows people to get rise to places they wouldn't have otherwise been able to go. And if it allows me to give up an $800 or whatever a month car payment, that's a lot of rise yep. that I could take in a month. Absolutely, so as long as the friction's really low. Right. So, so if the incent, the economic incentive for the consumer is positive, then I believe that people would do it and use them. As that starts to spread out, the look of the neighborhood starts to change. And I'm not just talking about your house. Right now, most retail outlets, and we saw this going down to Famous Dave's, just right. down from there. The uh, parking lots in the front of the property. Why? Because as I drive up, if I can't see a parking space. I won't go there. So we put parking lots out front so that you can see where you need to park. Right. But if you don't need to park, then there's no reason to have parking lots there. So we change the way we use space. And the reality, of course, is that a parked car, when you're a car service, is a car not making money. So right. you don't park cars. Right. You get out, car drives away, finds the next ride. So now let's talk about who are the logical candidates to run those companies to own that fleet of you know electrified autonomous cars well now we start doing the math around how much time an existing manual car spends parked versus in use so you look at the average taxi most taxis are more or less running 24 hours a day they do 6,000 mile oil changes every week yeah right the rate of utilization is way higher what if every car in a given city, was utilized at that level. How many cars is there? The number of cars drops dramatically. The number so, of parking spaces drop dramatically. And those parking spaces, because there's nobody needing to be in them, are much smaller. In fact, they can stack. You can use lifts. So therefore, parking. there's a built-in disincentive for a car company to make an autonomous vehicle. I think so. Because fundamentally, the car companies recognize this is far fewer cars. What about car as a service? The problem I got with cars right now is I have to come up with a new car every year so that you'll buy a new car. But if I just sell you the car per hour, now I can design cars very differently. And I have a steady cash flow from all of my customers all of the time. And I also recognize if I don't do this, somebody will. What if your local car dealership was where all the fleet of serviceable on-call with an app cars was? Well, and that's the neat thing about it being a service. You don't have to decide what kind of car you want once. You decide each time you select a car. Going right. out with a wife on a date, get something cute and sporty. Got to take the family somewhere, get a people mover. Need to take a bunch of junk to the dump, get a pickup truck. Need to have a business meeting from here to Chicago. Let's get something plush, 
comfortable with a table and a good internet connection. And a bar. No. Are you following us? Does this sound good? So, by having the car companies themselves be the service providers, they stay in business, they still make cars of distinction for you to rent by the hour. On demand. On demand. So there, that removes their disincentive to it make autonomous vehicles. It also is an vehicles. interesting way to tackle the liability problem. Yes. One of the reasons I wouldn't own an autonomous car is if it goes off and parks itself and gets into an accident, I wasn't present when that problem happened, and I could still be liable. But if the car companies own the cars, then they're dealing with the liability issue at a much larger scale. I think there's a strong advantage to very few entities owning those vehicles right. and leasing them on maps. Right. Because in, in talk about insurance now, okay, so what's the incentive for the insurance companies now? Now they're not insuring you and you and you and you and all these millions of people. They're insuring the car companies. So is their revenue from auto insurance going down significantly? Yes, but their payout is Liability also is going down as well. Going down. The other thing that happens once we start having lots of automated cars is we get interesting things like convoying or platooning. So when we recognize six cars have a particular similar destination, we drive them very close together and burn a lot less fuel. Right. The downside of that, of course, the front car still burns a lot of fuel. And if they were individually owned, we'd want to come up with some kind of crazy shared payment system for that. Yeah. But if there's only a couple of companies in the city that own these cars, that's pretty easy to manage. Right. You can make all that work out. And it also makes the the way cars are, the interior of cars, much different than they are today. You also today recognize- they're all forward facing. They're all about, you know, you know, safety and which is good. Safety is good. Well, there's a dirty but, little secret that nobody talks about with but safety. But what, what about, what about multiple compartment of cars so that you're driving to work and all of a sudden, you know, a message pops up somewhere that says, Hey, if we stop and pick up this other guy for this other compartment, your fare goes down by 50%. Are you in? You can say, nah, I feel like being alone today or you could split the fare. Sure. And look, rearward facing is safe too. In yeah. fact, it's safer. Safer. You'll notice that all the uh, cabin attendants in an aircraft sit backwards for a reason, right? It's safer, actually. Yeah. So the idea that we'd actually have a car with some forward facing, some rearward facing seats, totally reasonable. And of course, they're not going to turn all the seats around because that would be stupid. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, some folks, most people are comfortable sitting forward, forward of motion, facing. yeah, yeah. right? Where professionals can sit rearward facing because it's actually more important that they're healthy after an incident yeah. and so that they can help everyone else get off. Right. There's a few other things that come out of this, too, once we get into this mode. Uh, one of the interesting ones would be package transport. Suppose you have a lot of stuff. Right. Okay. Like you're going to go downtown for the day. You got a bunch of meetings and you got some samples. You got all these things you need to carry. Now, if you only borrowing the car, essentially, that means you have to carry your stuff with you, which kind of sucks. Yeah. I don't want to carry all the stuff. I got six meetings. They all have different stuff. So what if the car had a sort of modular compartment on the back? In fact, I probably own one of the storage boxes that fits into this car mm. at my home. Mm. So I load that up. The car is able to pick that up. I take out the stuff that I need when I get to my destination, and then I let the car go away with the box. It then stashes the box in a storage facility, Yeah. and when I need the car back, whatever new car comes, picks up the box and picks me up. I love it. And so grocery shopping, multiple compartments, we could do all of that. It doesn't really make any difference. Right. But it goes another mile. Once we have that compartmentalization, we can have different things stored in the car, FedEx changes. 
Like yeah. The way that we would deliver small packages around the city, you could imagine, I need to deliver this small package, so I go downstairs, I put in the, I take the materials I need to send off, I put it in a box, it goes into one of those carriers, and the next car heading that general direction picks it up, takes it out there. Right. So there's, and there could be multiple storage compartments on it. You can do as many of those as you want. And when it gets to your house, a little drone picks up the box, goes, rings your doorbell, opens the door, and drops it on your kitchen table. Nice. I like it. That, that's the drone show. We're coming. We'll do the drone show later. Yeah. Do you want to go to the creepy phase? Absolutely. So go with me on this. We already talked about the fact that we have this LIDAR that's able to keep a map of the world around it at very high speed and extremely detailed resolution. Right. And that it's already been processed by computers so it could easily be stored. Mm. And it's fast enough and sensitive enough that it can tra track the trajectory of multiple objects around it to the point of determining an accident before it happens. Right. So suppose you have an automated car waiting at an intersection when two manual cars collide with each other in that intersection. Yeah. Now, we already have this happen today where if there's an intersection camera, that camera is used as evidence to determine the outcome of the accident. Right. Isn't every single automated car effectively a camera with detailed vector oh, calculations yeah. available to it? Yeah. So we know the reality of every one of those accidents. Yeah. Heck, don't even think about the accidents. What if there was a mugging on the side of the street? Right. Where, because the LIDAR is so accurate, it can actually determine the force of the violence of the attacker on the, uh, on the attack -y. Yeah. Yeah. All of that stuff just comes out of it naturally. Every one of those cars is a surveillance device in extreme detail. It's just another uh, another nail in the coffin uh, of the another nail in the sign that is burning in my mind, which is we are in the age of no BS. There is no more BSing. There's no more hiding. There's no more pretending. It's you know reality is in your face. And, uh, and everything is surveilled yeah. in detail. I mean, you got to think, any no of these automated driving cars, like a taxi today, has cameras inside it. Right. And because it needs to figure out where it's going, it effectively has cameras outside it, too. Right. So they are big, rolling sensor vehicles. Yeah. And that data will be controllable. And especially since, I think it makes a lot of sense to me, there's only going to be a couple of companies that own these things and lease them out. Pretty sure the police are going to make a deal for that data. I'm pretty sure the NSA is interested in that data. You think? <laughs> so it's all that, a little... That didn't get a laugh. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Too true, yeah. Uh, in April of this year, Sergey Brin, CEO of Google, yeah. said driverless cars in the next five years. Yeah. And you already found data that says there will be driverless cars available soon. Yeah. Well, and certainly automatic pieces of the automation are coming next year. Yeah, and there are clearly going to be stages to this. But right. if for, you know, let's not go full automated driving first. What if my car had a traffic jam mode? Love it. Right? The suckiest kind of driving you could possibly do. Stop and go driving on the highway. What if I could just hit a, which, let's think about what happens to you today when you get into that. What happens? You're immediately bored. You're immediately bored. You start texting your cell phone. Well, make I phone don't call. Do, you know, but you turn on the radio. Listen, you zone out. Basically. Yeah, which increases the risk of dumb little fender benders right. at low speed. And most people just ignore them. But it's a bigger thing, which is that humans are not good at low speeds. They right. try to surge forward and they right. slam on the brakes. It's a very inefficient way to drive. And in fact, there was a guy. I was just listening to this on NPR. There was a guy who did a study, and he came to him while he was driving in Seattle on that long stretch where you can see for miles, 
Um, and I can't remember exactly where it is, but 527, does that make sense? It's in where I pulled out of my but whatever. So at night, he could see this accordion effect with the headlights. And when he did the math, he found out that the reason that traffic goes so slow is because people are speeding up when they can and then immediately braking and then speeding up and immediately braking. And all it takes, and he did this experiment, all it takes is one person to just stay as steady as they possibly can, not speeding up, you know, get, get the mean speed and stay there. One person can break the logjam for everybody in back. Now, if every, so that everybody basically can drive 25 miles an hour steadily, you actually end up going faster that way. So imagine it, is one so imagine an automated drive mode. We're in a traffic jam. It only works up to say 35 miles an hour, but you flip it on. Now it drives itself following the cars, maintains the speed. It'll actually smooth out the traffic jam. Right. And decrease risk because you're no longer dealing with that distracted mode. You can yeah. do something else, but you're still in the car. Right. And I think traffic jams would actually be mitigated. All right. So promise me something, audience. Now, this is just me. I don't know. Richard doesn't feel this, but uh, what most people listen to .NET Rocks on the commute. Are you right? Round of applause if you listen on your commute. That's three quarters of the room, man. Yeah. All right. So if you didn't have to drive... Clap if you'd still listen to the show. See? Oh, they all love you, man. However, they're going to want video. So I better lose some weight. Nice. Because we have faces made for radio. Nice. we got 10 minutes left. If there's any questions, microphone's right there. Feel free to jump in and ask what you like. We haven't, we haven't covered anything. Come on up. Hey, guys. Uh Congratulations on your 900th show. Thank, Thank you. you. So, a long-time listener. Um, I was curious if you feel that the ability of government to regulate autonomous vehicles would be able to keep pace with the technology advances. I hate to say this because it seems insane, but the answer is yes. It's much more simple regulation. So three states right now, California, Nevada, Florida, already passed automated driving bills. So they've already recognized that automated driving is a particular class, and they have certain bills that are already in place. In California and Nevada, they say they'll have the regulations completed by 2015, which is about as early as anybody really thinks we'll have full automated driving, maybe even earlier. There are nine other states that have bills in the works right now. So clearly the path is working forward. So far, so good. I'm sure we'll have other problems. Question. Again, congratulations on 900. I Thank can't you. think Thank of many things. Much. I've done 900 times. Um, so my question is kind of around infrastructure. So the Volvo commercial you were showing really focused on having a person in the car yep. and the car reacting to moving objects. What are they doing for things like stop signs, yield signs, roundabouts, traffic lights? Are they doing sensors for... Those kind of things. How are they programming for that? So it turns out the LIDAR is sensitive enough. LIDAR is so sensitive it actually measure your heart rate. Because it turns out your chest moves a little bit from heart. So And they can actually see traffic lights. They can see the shapes of signs. They even see the difference in reflectiveness of the material to tell the difference between a stop sign and a yield sign. So yeah, they're sensing the full package. Uh, and they can... They can there's a really interesting piece where they show an object flying off of another vehicle coming at a LiDAR car, and it's able to see it and avoid it better than a human. 
because the reaction times are faster. You don't have a lot of time. You can figure it out. And even if it, and also know when it can't avoid it and then do preventative measures from there. So the LIDAR can see the signs when you can't, like in a rainstorm or something like that. Yeah. But although it is an interesting challenge around different conditions, humans are remarkably good at filling in the gaps when there's not complete data. And that's a challenging part for computing. But the technology is coming along, and some of the more modern sensors are getting better and better at dealing with those particular things. There's a reason that a lot of automated car testing is happening in California. The weather's good, and it makes it easier. I'll be really interested to see how well cars tolerate the snows of Michigan. Or Wisconsin. Right. Or a good nor'easter in, the, in New England. A good nor'easter. That's it. right. That'll be an ch- interesting challenge. Yeah. But i got to think, when they get it figured out, They'll drive way better. Probably. Yes, question. What is the impact on public transport? Does it get better? Does it get used less? What happens to buses? My, Based on what we've been talking about, I think most transport becomes public transport. In a lot of ways, it's a question of cost. Why wouldn't buses also be automated? Right. Uh, and make them more precise, uh, more data available, easier to track. Uh, self-driving. It's a, it's a really interesting model. I mean, it's, it's a tough time to be a professional driver of any kind, but it, and uh, ultimately reduces cost. Speaking of people who love their sports cars, Beth Massey. You have hey guys, question? congratulations. 900. What an amazing accomplishment. Thanks. Um, yeah. So I, you know, guys, I, I soup cars, I race cars and me and Richard share a passion for driving. Yep. So I think this is all crap. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I also work from home, so I don't have to sit in traffic. So that's probably what makes my life much more enjoyable when yep. I do drive. Uh, so I actually do, like, I live in California as well. So I know all about the Google cars and the fear that some some people have in California about these cars. Um, I'm not really one of them because I'm a technology nerd. So, But I think a lot of people who who drive, who love that passion of driving, are really against this. And I think their fear their, their fear is that the policies will make it so that at some point we'll be required to be driving, or not drive humans, right? And they'll be required to use these cars. I th- yeah, I, I don't agree. But I do think that the bar will go up. The good news is, for us as passionate drivers, bad drivers will tend towards automated vehicles. Right. I think the roads for us will get more pleasant. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. So I'm because if you don't, yeah, if you don't care about driving, you'll take the least expensive path that's also still convenient. As long as I can dart around them, I don't care. I, I, don't, I think it'll be a dark... You know, it's either when, when the government comes for all the guns and prize them out of Charlton Heston's cold dead fingers, and that's the same day that... They take away our, our fundamental right to drive cars. And I think it's going to be a gradual transition. My expectation is as soon as automated driving is available, I will get a subscription. Yeah. And then one day you'll notice you haven't touched your car in three months, the thing you're making payments on every month. Right. And then the incentive will change. It will be a, a gradual process. Yeah. And so you'll have a different kind of car. If I can have any kind of car I want on demand for the stuff I really need to do, it's going to be all manual cars will be cool little sports cars, I mm-hmm. think. Or they'll be big off-road vehicles. They'll be specialty vehicles because the common vehicle will be automated. There's one other thing that this does to society that we may not have immediately thought about, and that is uh, it allows for more commuting because one of the big problems with commuting is the downtime. You know, But if you can get in an autonomous car, 
take a two-hour commute or a two-and-a-half-hour commute and work the whole time and be on Skype and, you know, be, be connected and all of that, that's time you're getting paid for to work. That's not downtime. That's not commute time. So, you know, living in uh, Rhode Island and uh, working in New York City is, is a possibility. More feasible. More feasible. Chris? Sir. Uh, uh, congratulations, guys. 900 shows. Awesome accomplishment. Thanks. Um, let's just say you're out for a drink with your friend, co-worker at work. Not you two guys. I know that would never happen. No, we never do we that. We don't do um, that. But let's just, for instance, let's just imagine that you're out there and you had a few too many to drink. You get in your autonomous vehicle. And like you said, there are going to be accidents. Yep. And it gets in an accident. Do you still get a DUI? No, because you weren't driving. Yeah. Right, he's driving under the influence. As long as you're not driving, it's not an issue, right? right? It's no more than I'm in a taxi and the taxi gets into the accident. Now, if you turned off autopilot and grabbed the wheel and started bombing around, yes, probably. Clearly, you're in the bad decision. I could actually see myself putting the car in an awkward situation and flipping the automatic driver back on because I like to torment technology that way. <laughs> All right, we're at 50 miles an hour directly at a wall. Solve. <laughs> Solve for X, please. No solution. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Question, sir. Yeah, you guys talked a little bit about whether automakers would be disincentivized to make automated cars. Yes. I actually think they won't be because um, cars actually wear out as a function of mileage, not as a function of how many cars are owned or as a function of how often they are driven. So people still need to get where they need to go. Yep. And people are still, the same amount of people need to get where they need to go. So, car makers actually are going to be making the same amount of cars. It's just that there are going to be fewer in circulation. They'll just be used more. Using up fast. I think yeah, that's that a really a great very, thought. That's very an excellent point. thought. Thank yeah. you for that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, uh, although I also think cars will start to be built more like airliners because they can afford to be more expensive. Because right now we're building poor quality cars because people have a very are much more price sensitive. When there's only a handful of folks buying cars. They're going to buy them in a different way. They'll be higher quality, which will benefit us in the end, but they'll also be higher cost. But that's an amortized cost. And and also, you know, make no bones about it, the, the manual car isn't going away. It's just the market will shrink. Yeah, and it'll be different. It'll be different. Differentiated. Hi, question. So we've talked a little bit about the impact of automated cars to society as general. But yep. What about the impact of automated cars on developers? And what kind of skills do you think we're going to need in order to develop to that marketplace? You can write more code on because you're not wasting time in your car. Right. I'm also, it opens all kinds of hacking opportunities. If you have not read well, uh, Juarez's Freedom and Damon, yeah. two books... If you really want to scare yourself with the future of automated cars, those are the books to read. So, yeah, Freedom and Damon, okay. uh, where a particular mastermind takes over a whole bunch of automated cars and uses them as weapons. Well, there you go. What could go wrong? So, yeah, what impact does it have on developers? First of all, it opens a whole new industry for developers. Yep. Because, and especially where security is concerned, Security is going to be the number one problem, I think, for the software in an, in an automated car. Uh, the number one problem to be solved. I think all these other logistical problems, they're already hard at work on solving and will be solved very soon. But the security vectors, the, the attack surfaces will increase. 
And uh, that, that will be a considerable problem. Now, what gain anybody has by hacking into your car that they can't steal and will have a record of them destroying? I don't know, unless they're a madman that wants to use them as weapons and destroy the world. Who would do that? But, uh, uh, yeah, there's, those people don't exist, right? <laughs> My friend, we're at an hour. Yeah. I have one more nugget to throw at you. Throw it. What was the first show I was on? 69. As what a guest. As a guest. What did we talk about? We talked about water-cooled PCs and flying cars. Well, I don't water-cool my PCs anymore, but let's talk about flying cars. Molar. Why don't flying cars exist? Why do flying cars exist? Why don't they? Why don't they? Oh. Yeah, okay. So, for two reasons. One is the technology, which is difficult. Yep. But the bigger reason is the licensing. The FAA does not have a classification for something that is both a And even if they made a general aviation, general aviation pilots fail at a remarkably high rate. I suggest to you, my friend, that if we solve automated driving, it opens the door to automated flying. Really? Once we have the technology and people are comfortable with the idea that you can program in a destination, the vehicle will just get you there, mm-hmm. and it handles the safety elements for you, mm-hmm. you can make a flying car. It's the part that Moeller can't solve. Yeah. Moeller's M400 flies. Right. It could, and, and only- arguably he needs more money and he could make it fly better, or more talented people than him, although he's remarkable. Well, wasn't his problem better. that he could only fly it on a tether because the FAA would not allow him to yeah, fly it? There were limitations, but he could have gotten helicopter rated on that thing. Yeah. But then it's takes an incredible expert to fly it. Right. And general aviation is much more dangerous. Yeah. So but if it was fully automated as a flying vehicle, if it could just fly right. and you could get where you wanted to go and everything was fine, mm-hmm. I think it would actually work. Till we have automated driving, we will never have the flying car. I guess we're gonna have to leave that to another geek out show, aren't we? Yeah, I guess. All right. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Always. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.